we're going to be carrying on, as Raj said, to our uh, series looking at the pastoral letters. Three letters in the New Testament in the second half of the Bible. One Timothy, two Timothy, in the book of Titus. Pastoral letters. And uh, today we've got uh, two passages that we're going to look at. So they're up there on the screen if you want to be finding them. Uh, 1 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 4, 1 to 5, and then Titus chapter 1 from 10 to 16. So we've got two passages this morning. And the title for this morning that I've been given is Wolves. Wolves. Thank you, everyone. It's nice to have some audience participation. Long may it continue. And I kind of thought about changing the title, really, seeing as actually the the, the word wolves doesn't actually appear in any of the pastoral letters. But I'll explain a little bit later about why I've kept it. But I I kind of thought it gives it the sound of of a Hollywood film, don't you think? Kind of, it kind of makes it a bit like a Hollywood blockbuster. Um, and, and so I looked up some tips for naming films um, on the internet, just to kind of see, well, how do they name films? How do they decide what, fil- what name to give a film? And here are some tips. And actually what I found is this seems to fit most of them. So here's a few of them that it, that it said. It said, the shorter, the better. Tick. The name should be designed to get people to want to see the film. Does it it intrigue you what our subject is this morning with that title? Yeah, tick. How many hits will it get on Google? Well, I tried. 81 million. Okay, most of them about a football team from the West Midlands. But, tick. The title should say something about the key action parts of the film. E.g., Jaws, someone's going to get eaten by a shark. And uh, so, tick, we're doing well here. And finally, it said, you will never be 100% happy with the title. Tick. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure if this is a good title to use or not, but it is, and we're going with it. and uh, so it actually was a film a few years ago, a really bad werewolf film um, that's really not what looking, uh, watching. So don't watch it, just listen to this instead. So we've got two passages this morning. Let's read them from the pastoral epistles. 1 Timothy chapter 4 from verse 1. I'll read them out and they're on the screen. The Spirit clearly says that in later times... Some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which, that means not eat, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, 
because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Then flicking to Titus chapter 1 from verse 10. Okay, so that's Paul speaking to Timothy. Now Paul's here writing to Titus. For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. We haven't got time to go into all that today. They must be silenced because they're disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. And that for the sake of dishonest gain. One of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. <laughs> so, one of the big themes of the pastoral letters is that people are teaching things, some people are teaching some things in the church that is not in line with true faith. And not only that, it's actually damaging the Christian communities. And these passages kind of tell us, kind of infer what has led people to do this and what has led them to this place. Firstly, it says they've ignored their consciences. Their consciences have been seared or their consciences have been corrupted. See, that conscience, your conscience is that thing that helps you make right and wrong decisions. You say something mean to someone I say something really mean to Lynn and then something in me, on purpose, and something in me later kind of goes, do you know, that really wasn't the right thing to do. Do you know, that really wasn't good. Or at times it confirms when you've done something right. Oh, you know, that, that really was the right thing to do, yeah. But what happened is these people had ignored their consciences, so much so that they weren't actually able to separate out truth from lies. They weren't, they weren't able to kind of, they weren't able to kind of separate out right from wrong, and that came across in their teaching. And secondly, it says they've kind of been able to gain somehow some kind of, some kind of dishonest gain. Uh, possibly, maybe like a standing in society, a better standing in society, maybe money. It perhaps reminds us of the prosperity preacher that will tell his followers to give and give to his ministry simply just to line his pockets and so that he can live in a lavish lifestyle. It tells also this passage the consequences of their teaching. People will abandon the faith. They'll follow deceptive teaching. They'll follow this stuff that kind of draws them away from true Christian living. 
and it will cause disruption and division in the church. It says, we, we read, it says, whole families are being upset by what these people are teaching. So, why wolves? Why wolves? Well, it points to a bigger picture in the Bible. Think about, think about uh, the 23rd Psalm. If you know Psalm 23, you know, what, does, what does Psalm 23 say God is? What does Psalm 23 say the Lord is? The Lord is my shepherd. Yeah. Often in the Bible, God's referred to as a shepherd. He's referred to as the shepherd of his people and his people, his sheep. And so we get Jesus. And what does Jesus announce similar to this in his ministry? I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. And he regularly refers to his followers as his sheep. Do you like being called a sheep? Does that fill you with confidence and status? But that's what we that's how the Bible describes us. We're we're God's flock. And what do what what would the sheep need to look out for? Well done. You're doing very well this morning. They're not hard questions, I know, but <laughs> mint, mint sauce. Oh, we should t- oh. We, we, need, we need to take ride for a shawarma, don't we? And fill all that lamb with uh, chilli sauce and garlic sauce and all sorts. Hey, I'm getting hungry. Wolves. So, so wolves in the Bible is often a way of referring to people who want to draw God's people away from him. And, and do you know what? More often than not it's talking and referring to people who have some connection or who claim to have some connection with God's people. Not talking about, you know, the, the antagonistic atheist guy who just wants to kind of shout and rant at Christianity. No, it's not. It's talking about people who seem to have some kind of connection or some kind of claim to a connection with the people of God. So we get this in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 27. It says the religious leaders at the time were acting like wolves. It says they weren't helping people to worship the living God. In fact, it says they were taking advantage of them. And then we get Jesus in Matthew 7. He says there'll be people who'll come to you who'll be claiming to be from God. But he says, but they're they're like wolves dressed up in sheep's clothing. And they're up to no good. We get Paul in the book of Acts saying, um, he says to one church, look, when I'm gone, just watch out because wolves will come into your community and they'll try to upset you and draw you away from God. And so here in these pastoral letters, we have Paul telling Timothy and Titus, Watch out for people like this. Don't be deceived by their teaching. They're up to no good. So, the question is, is this still a problem 
for the church in the 21st century, for today's church? Is it still a problem? Well, yeah. Yeah, it can be. And actually, with the rise of the internet, which has brought lots of wonderful things, as well as lots of negative things, but with the rise of the internet, with the rise of satellite TV, actually, all, what this has done has widened this issue in a more significant way. See, there's all sorts of teaching out there, all sorts of really good teaching out there on the internet, on satellite TV. Some of it's really good. And some of it is deceptive and damaging. So how do we discern, how do we work out what, what's false teaching, the type that causes people in the end to abandon the genuine faith in Jesus? Well, I've got a little example today that kind of links with what's happening today. Think of our friends, the cyclists, who are out there right now. Is it raining? Yeah, in the rain. Knowing these guys, they're probably in Whitby already. Actually, no, they haven't started yet, have they? Yeah, they have started, yeah. But, you know, they, they go at some speed. Think about them. They've trained themselves to be fit, to be cyclists. I'm, I'm a cyclist. But if I tried to go up against these guys, do you know, I wouldn't stand a chance. They've, they've studied, they've got into habits, they've checked what the best diet is, what's the best way to use their time. They've realised what's good for them and what's bad for them. Last night at 10 o'clock, I doubt they were eating at the all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet. Not good before a race. I don't, I don't, is anyone a sports? Into sports? It's not, that's not good, is it? No. Unless it was lost to pasta, maybe. But maybe earlier on. You know, in the same way, we can learn what is good for us. What grows our spiritual muscle? What helps us create spiritual endurance, spiritual stamina? And I think there's some things from this passage that help us to do that, that help us. And four things, I think, the passage points us to. Firstly, know the Bible. Secondly, be thankful. Thirdly, know who you now are. And fourthly, know God. So here, 1 Timothy chapter 4, we've got some people telling this community that, you know, they shouldn't be getting married. That they can't get married. That they can't eat certain foods. And it's probably linked to the idea that uh, there was a kind of thinking of the, of the time um, that, you know, anything solid, anything material, anything to do with the earth, Anything to do with normal life, that's bad. That's evil. Any, anything, about the, anything to do with the world around us, that's evil, they said. And, and in order to kind of achieve a more fulfilling, higher experience of God, a higher level of purity, then you needed to avoid those things. You needed to avoid earthly things. They'll just make you impure. So, therefore, sex, marriage, eating meat, 
those things will make you less pure before God, is what they were saying. But Paul says, that's not what Scripture tells us. And he goes back to the start of the Bible. He goes back to Genesis. He says the earth has been created by God and therefore it's good. Okay, yes, it's been affected by human sin, but it doesn't mean it's not good. And he says, God, God created marriage. In, in, in the creation account, we see God creating, giving marriage for a man and a woman. It's good. It's not to be avoided because it somehow makes you less acceptable to God. Do you see how he counters the arguments of the false teachers? He holds up what's true and he says, look, here's the truth of God. Now, now, will you see the differences? So it's often said that the best way to tell the difference between fake and real notes is not to study fake ones, as many fake ones as you can, that's not what the, the, the banks say. They say, and you might have heard this often said, often used in the example, they say, study a genuine one. See how it feels. See how it looks. Tilt it and see what happens. Hold it up to the light and see. They say, don't, don't study all the fake ones. Study the genuine thing. Oh, yeah, I have to get that back. <laughs> I'm like the Queen. So, do you get it? Get to know truth. And you'll easily spot differences. So, read the Bible. And, and kind of get to know the big themes of the Bible, the big storylines of the Bible. We've already promoted the church library already once this morning. Um, but here's two books to recommend. The Bible. Read the Bible. Read the Word of God. This is God's Word to us. Here's, here's another one. That's less good, but still good. This is uh, the Bible in 100 pages. Has anyone read this? by a guy called Phil Moore, who leads the church down in London. The Bible in 100 pages, it does what it says. It is in 100 pages. And it goes through the storyline of the Bible. Very short, very easy book to read, and picks out the key themes of the great Bible stories and how it all holds together. Really, really good book. Really, really easy to read. Listen, as you read the Bible, have this attitude, Lord, I want to read because, because through it I get to know you more. I get to know how to live for you. I, I become equipped to recognise what's not good for me and what's not true. I get to encounter you. Listen, listen there are people in other nations who would get into serious trouble, even face death, for reading this book. And yet we have 
the freedom to read this word. It's God's word to us. Why, why would they risk their lives to read this book? Because they encounter the living God as they read its words. As they take it in, Jesus speaks to them. They meet him as they read it. Okay, secondly, be thankful. Timothy's told, nothing in creation is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. See, these passages don't mean you're not allowed to be a vegetarian. They don't mean that you're any less fulfilled if you're not married. Rather, the point is, his point is, thankfulness. See, thankfulness is a really effective part of Christian living. Listen, here's something from the uh, uh, New Testament, Hebrews 12, 28. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. And then Colossians 4, 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. See, some of you, I'm guessing, some of us will give thanks before our dinner this afternoon. We kind of say, well, it's saying grace. We'll do that. And that's okay. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that, actually. But actually, thankfulness must go far beyond that. Listen, if you don't believe me, uh, believe a, a, a famous dead person um, who said some very wise words probably about 100 years ago, G.K. Chesterton. And, uh, okay, we have to see that this was 100 years ago, so some of the things in this quote won't seem very hip, won't seem very cool, won't seem very trendy, but actually, you know, just kind of remember that. This is about 100 years ago. This is what G.K. Chesterton said. You say grace before meals, all right? But I say grace before the play and the opera, and grace before the concert and pantomime, and grace before I open a book, and grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing, and grace before I dip the pen in the ink. Do you see? I, I don't think he's saying, look, all I have to do is to say grace before I watch this really unacceptable film and then it's okay for me to do it. And, and I don't think he's saying that he actually literally said a short prayer before doing those things. Maybe he did, I don't know. But I think it's, it's more about approaching them, doing them, enjoying them with this kind of attitude of thankfulness. A thankfulness that recognises that God has created this world for our enjoyment. So we be thankful for another day. Thankful for the people God's put around us. Thankful for our church family. Thankful that God provides what we need. Thankful for the opportunity to be creative. Thankful to enjoy things around us. Thankful for Jesus. Thank you for sins forgiven. Thank you for eternity with him. Thank you for a purpose that he gives us. Do you know, thankful even in the difficult circumstances. Like when Dan gets up here and says, I'm not, I'm not putting my trust in work or whether the finances stack up. I'm 
thankful to God. I'm trusting in God. Listen, if we're to be the church that God's called us to be on Teesside, I believe thankfulness is really, really key. In your life, in my life, in our church life. Listen, when we're ungrateful, when we're critical, it kind of holds us hostage. It kind of locks us up. Actually, when we're thankful for all God has done, for every blessing that comes from him, when we have that attitude of thankfulness, you know, it releases us. This is why we've called this sermon series Releasing Everyone. Thankfulness does that. It releases us. We're released. It enables us to be more effective for him. Thirdly, know who you now are. See, thankfulness helps us as Christians to remember who we're not. Remember, we're not God. We are not the great giver. But we're also remembered, reminded to, to remember who we are. So Paul says to Titus, there's, there's people who are trying to stay pure. Stay pure as they see it by not eating certain foods, by not going to certain places, by withdrawing from people who they think they're better than. They're thinking that if they come into contact with those things, they're going to make me unclean, they're going to make me impure. But the reality of Christianity is it's not about being outwardly clean by your actions and through your actions, but rather that God changes us from the inside. He cleans us from the inside. Jesus tells his followers in Matthew 15, look, it's not what a person puts in their mouth that makes them unclean, but it's actually what comes out of their mouth. He's kind of saying, look, you realise the problem's inside people. It's, it's in our hearts. It's not in what you're putting in. It's not in by avoiding certain foods, not going to certain places. See, the Bible says we think things wrong. We desire things wrong. Sin is a problem in us. But it also says, when you put your trust in Jesus, that problem of sin in us is dealt with. We're changed. We're given new life. We're given a new heart. We're given new desires. Paul's saying, look, if that hasn't happened in these false teachers, in these wolves, and in their followers, it doesn't matter what they avoid. It doesn't matter what they don't avoid. It's all going to be impure because the problem is in them. He says, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. It doesn't matter what they try and avoid, they're still not sorting out the real problem, which is in them. Listen, if you are a Christian here this morning, you have been changed from within. Jesus has dealt with the root of your purity problem. Praise God. 
at the cross, when he died, he took the punishment for our sin. Took on the impurity of that sin. And because the, because the cross was not a defeat by sin, but a victory over sin, do you know, when we choose to trust in Jesus, we're cleansed from it. And we're able to live for him. We're able to choose decisions in life for him. Not because, well, this will make me more acceptable before him, but because I have been made acceptable, I can make this decision. And get this, for these false teachers, their attitude towards purity and avoiding things that they thought would make them unclean meant that they were less effective in influencing and serving the world around them. But do you know, knowing you're a child of God, knowing you're a person transformed from inside, knowing you're a person who is loved more than they can imagine, means that you're able to be more effective in the world. Listen, as I look out here and see many people who are involved in social action, social justice type projects, involved in many ways in serving their communities, in working and volunteering in settings like that. I know that you didn't think, well, I can't get involved with that work because I might end up impure. Actually, I might be negatively affected if I get involved in that. No, no, you said, I'm going to positively affect that community, that group. Because I'm taking Jesus into that situation, into that place. Listen, that's effective, fruitful influence, isn't it? And finally, know God. See, Paul says, these wolves, these people, they claim to know God. But Paul wasn't so sure. See, lots of false teachers claim to know God. They claim to know God in a way better than you ever could. How do we know God? Listen, it's not simply for the clever. It's not simply for the ones with some secret knowledge. Actually, when Jesus said, well, Jesus is asked a similar question by one of his followers. He says, show us, show us the Father, that'll be enough for us. And if you know his reply, Jesus says, look, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Basically saying, you want to know God the Father? Listen, know me. Listen, come to me, says Jesus. Listen, this is how you get to know God. By knowing Jesus, recognising that his death and resurrection was for you, receiving the gift of new life he gives, and realising that you can walk with him in every part of your life. If you're not a Christian here this morning, I want to encourage you, you can start that journey today. You can start that life with Jesus Today, we would love to speak to you about it. Speak with the person you came with. Speak with someone you know. Speak with one of, uh, someone you've seen at the front. We'd love to talk with you more how you can start this journey with Jesus. 
Okay, we're going to finish soon and we're going to worship. But listen, let's remember that. Know the Bible. Be thankful. Know who you now are. And know God. See, watching out for false teaching isn't complicated, but really important. Living the Christian life isn't complicated. It doesn't mean it's easy. It's certainly not always easy. But you don't have to have a theology degree to do it. It's actually lived out in normal day-to-day life. See, we've called this series Releasing Everyone. That's what these four things that I've talked about should do. Release us to be the people of God in this place. Release us to care for the marginalised and destitute. Release us to share the good news of Jesus with those around us. Release us to put others first. Release us to make Jesus' name more famous in Teesside. In these towns in people's lives. Let's pray together. If the band could come up as well. Let's look to Jesus. Lord Jesus, We think you're amazing. We know you are wonderful. We thank you that as we read this book, we get to know you. We thank you that as the Spirit comes and indwells in us, and lives through us. We get to know you. Thank you. And Lord, we want to ask, would you keep making us a thankful people? Thankful for all you are doing. Thankful for every blessing that comes from your hand. Thank you that even as we, as we sang that song, even in difficult times, even when things just don't seem to be going right, our anchor holds within your presence. We can't be taken away from you through difficult circumstances. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We're so thankful for everything you have given us, everything you give us. We're so so thankful for all you are to do amongst us and in us as a community. As we approach this week of prayer, we're thankful. Thankful for all you've done and we're pressing into all you are to do in the future. We want to continue to know who we are. Help us. Spirit of God, come, keep reminding us who we are. 
who you've made us to be, sons and daughters of the living God. Able to influence and um, serve and love and care for those around us. Lord, I want to pray particularly as I touched on people involved in uh, working in communities around, working in social action projects, working um, at serving amongst communities that need their help. I pray strengthen them. Pray equip them. If you, if you know you work in one of those areas, just ask Jesus right now, Lord, I need your, I need your equipping power. Keep strengthening me. Keep, uh, keep strengthening me for what you've called me to. Keep thanking him that it's his work. It's not yours. It's his. And yet he calls you into it. And would you help us to know you more? To know you more. Help us to, in all these things, to know you more. So that when we see something that just we, we, doesn't seem right, that doesn't seem to line up with your truth, that doesn't seem to, um, to have um, the sense of your gospel to it, that we know, no, no, that's not right, that's not good for me. No, no, I'm going to pursue truth. I'm going to pursue Jesus. Would you help us to do that as a community as we are released into your great purposes in this place? Amen.